Greetings. It was a joy to sing that song where the foundation is, where the rock is, where our security is, where nothing is going to move. And I think it's a very good song for the for uh, before the message because if I'm going to speak about the mothers and you lift something up, it might almost seem that maybe the mothers are the solid rock. Now, they are very solid. They are very blessing, but they are not the solid rock. <laughs> so it's a blessing to sing that song and uh, be reminded of the true solid rock, our Lord Jesus. So, uh, yeah, why don't we just pause for a word of prayer before we go on? Lord, we are thankful to you for what you have done for us, to us, and in us, Lord. Lord, we, as we stand here, we sit here this morning, we realize that you could have had just full judgment upon us, and you would have been right to do that. But you had mercy, and you had love. And you gave us what we have needed. So Lord, we worship you this morning for that. We honor you and we love you. And we ask you, Lord, to continue to work in each one of our hearts. We do so need you. We are so blessed by what you have done. But we cannot and we will not go on without your grace. So we thank you for your love. Just pray, Lord, for this morning as we looked to you for the message. We ask you you would speak to each of us. And yes, Lord, that would be a blessing to the mothers in this room, an encouragement and inspiration, and just a blessing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the third Mother's Day message I have preached in a row. I was sort of looking, maybe someone else could this year, but I won't be here next Sunday, and so um, I didn't feel. So I thought, well, I preached two in a row. Is there more than two in the world? <laughs> but there is. It's much bigger than that. I have found the Lord has given the message. I trust our trust will be a blessing I realize Mother's Day is not all equally happy for everyone. Mother's Days can actually be painful for some mothers who may have lost children and for uh, for wives who would like to be mothers and are not able. And um, then sometimes Mother's Day is painful for mothers who look at their needs and their failures and it becomes a painful time rather than a rejoicing time. I realize that. But there are mothers and there are godly mothers. And today is a day to honor mothers. The title is The Impact of Godly Mothers. And I think of an impact, you know, you think of an impact wrench, it's really strong. 
So maybe impact is not the best word to use. Maybe it should have been influence. I don't know. But it's, as I'm, I mean, I'm just thinking right now. Fathers have more impact. Mothers have more influence. How's that? (laughs) Just uh, the spirit. So maybe I'll have to change the message till we're done. I'm not sure. There are mothers, and then there are godly mothers. Mothers who know God, walk with God, who love their husbands, who love their children. There are mothers who are chaste and good, keepers at home. There are many mothers who have a godly impact on their children. And here's something I found, I don't know where I found it, but we said we do well to honor mothers who are the prime kingdom builders, the chief soul molders, the conspicuous character constructors, and the foremost recruiting agents for the eternal realms above. And we want to look at one such mother in the Bible this morning. And you can turn to Acts chapter 16. For the first passage of scripture. Acts 16, and this is on Paul's second missionary journey. Then came he, Paul, to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman which was a Jewess, and believed. But his father was a Greek, which Timothy, that is, was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him, and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek." Like I said, this is in Paul's second missionary journey. He had been through this same area three years before, about three years. Preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus. The first time that Paul went through this area, there was a lot of response. There were believers. There were churches established. And there was a lots of negative response. As well. So Paul was at Derby and at Lystra. Does anyone know what happened at Lystra on his first missionary journey? Hmm? He's stoned. Paul was stoned at Lystra. It means he was killed by having people throwing rocks at him. I mean, the people who threw rocks at him thought they killed him. As the other Christians were standing around, then he moved and he got up. And he went back into the city and the next day he went to the next city to do the same thing. That was the first missionary journey at Lystra. Then on the second missionary journey, where does he go? To the same place. To the same place he had been killed three years earlier. 
And why did he go? Because there were believers there. The second missionary journey started when Paul said to Barnabas, and I'm going to paraphrase this, he said, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord and see how the new believers are doing. That was Paul and Barnabas. Now we know that they didn't actually go together then. We heard a little bit about that this morning. But that is how the second missionary journey started. Let's go back and let's see how they're doing. Three years later. And so they came to Lystra where he had that horrible stoning. And he meets this young man, Timothy. Which is... The, well, Timothy is the Greek rendering of Timothy. He was probably a convert to this new faith from three years before. Paul was horribly treated, but there was some fruit, and here was some fruit. And Paul would say, I would do it all over again for fruit, like this. So anyhow, it was some of the fruit of his labor, this young man, Timothy. And so Paul, um, as he's interacting with the disciples there, meets this young man, meets the believers, goes to the church. I don't know what all they did there, but here's this young man. He is a very outstanding young man. He is, uh, I don't know if Paul began to, as he's thinking of recruiting, and then he maybe said, what about this young man and the other Brethren said, great guy, that man, he recommended, I recommend him. So he takes him and long with his team. And that, as far as we know, was the beginning of the association, a lifelong association with Paul and Timothy. Timothy became one of Paul's most faithful disciples. He was the pastor of some of the churches. I don't know, I didn't study his life real closely, but I know he was the pastor of Ephesus for a number of years. It's, he was young. It seemed like it was rather timid. He was not a strong leader. Hmm. Okay. I'm not sure what to do about that. <laughs> and he seemed like he had some health issues sometimes. Maybe he was weak in body. It's not weak in mind, not weak in spirit. But he was instructed by Paul to preach the word, even when it's not popular or when it's not accepted. He was informed that there's going to be difficult times. There would be persecution. There would be times when people would not listen to the truth. During times when truth would be rejected, he was charged to stay the course and fulfill the ministry God gave him. And then he was instructed to train the next generation of leaders and preachers. Now, why am I spending all this time on Timothy on Mother's Day? I don't know if he could have any answer or not, but I'd like to ask you this question. How many of you know who Paul's mother was, the Apostle Paul? Peter's mother. We know more about Peter's mother-in-law than we know about Peter's mother, amazingly. What about Barnabas' mother? 
We don't know who they are. What is unusual about this exceptional young man, Timothy, is that in Scripture, his mother and his upbringing is mentioned in several different places. That's what's different about Timothy, and that's why I, I, I picked him out as a look at. The impact of a mother in the life of her children. Here in Acts 16, it mentions that Timothy is the son of a certain woman, and this woman, his mother, was a Jew. And she was a believer. But, and the but is in contrast, his father was a Greek. That means he was not a Jew. And the but assumedly means he is also not a believer. That's an assumption, but it's, it, it falls in clearly line. So here we have a little glimpse into a perfect home, or not. Well, what do we see? We see a home that is multicultural and multireligious. Probably a home where there could have been a significant amount of disunity. It could have been a home with differing visions and goals. We just, we don't know. It just says his father was not a Jew and he was not likely, uh, he was not a believer. Likely not a believer. But as Luke, which the Luke is the writer of Acts, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes about the entrance of Timothy into Paul's ministry, he mentions Timothy's mother. And I said, why is that? Why did he mention the mother? Is she someone special? Who is she? What did she do? So we want to take a glimpse into the home life, into the home life of this young budding soldier of the Lord and see what we can learn from it. You can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 for the next scripture. There's uh, three three areas that uh, three scriptures that I know of where uh, Timothy's home and his family is mentioned. So this is the second one. Second Timothy chapter three, verse thirteen to seventeen. This is a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy near the end of Paul's life, about. Fifteen years later, after that place there in Acts that we had just looked at, we will now move forward 15 years. Probably, probably Timothy is the pastor at Ephesus. Timothy's had a, a, a 15 years of ministry at this point. And starting at verse 13... But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. 
Paul is aware of Timothy's childhood, probably from the interaction there. And he gives encouragement for Timothy to remain true, to continue on and to stay the course. I'm sorry, I'm getting the wrong emphasis. As he is encouraging Timothy 15 years later in his ministry to stay the course, he reminds him of his childhood. Specifically, how he learned the scriptures at home. Now, the Holy Scriptures, what were they to Timothy? The Old Testament. His mother was a Jew. So she had the Old Testament that we have here. That was her scriptures. Timothy's mother taught Timothy the Old Testament scriptures as a child. We don't know exactly how she taught it, but we can imagine that as a little toddler, as a little one, well, maybe even before that, as she was still in the womb, or maybe when he was a baby, she was singing to him the songs of the Holy Scriptures. The Psalms are songs, so she could have sung him those songs. She could have sung him um, Psalms 119 and Psalms 31 or 33 or whichever one we read this morning. And then as he got older, she could tell him stories about David and Goliath and about the walls of Jericho falling down. She couldn't tell him stories about baby Jesus because that hadn't happened yet. But they had the Old Testament And little children are little children. Their minds are like sponges. They soak up what they get in contact with. Whether it's for good or whether it's for bad, they soak it up. What was she doing? She is molding and shaping a little mind. She's beginning to create a worldview, an understanding of the world in a very young mind. That's what Eunice was doing. Well, we didn't get to her name yet. I I left it out, right? (laughs) Timothy's mother. And this worldview was being developed in a home where it was both lived and taught, as we'll see later. Then as Timothy got older, she could teach him more advanced concepts of God. God is eternal. Genesis 1, God created everything in six days. Adam and Eve sinned. The world changed. God chose a man, Abraham, and all those things. And someday, there's going to come a Messiah. I'm sure she was taught that. He was taught that in that home. He's going to come and he's going to save his people. I remember in my childhood, my mother telling me the difference between animals and people. She told me animals, when they die, they just die and they are no more. But when people die, they have a soul and the soul goes back to God. Now, I, as a little four-year-old boy, I'm trying to comprehend that. So, mom, where's the soul? Now, you can't see it. It's inside you, but you can't see it. And 
but and my mom was teaching me. She was giving me concepts that still, I mean, it's, and many other things too, but it's one that I remember. It didn't make sense to me, but my concept of God and the world and reality was being developed. It happens in a home. But Timothy's mother, apparently, according to this scripture as a child that has known the Holy Scriptures, was fulfilling the commandment of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I'll just read it. Here's what the command was to Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And so Timothy learned the Jewish scriptures as a child. And in a proper, nurturing, loving environment with those scriptures, it had an impact on his life that stayed with him the rest of his life. They shaped and they molded and they prepared Timothy for his adult life. And who did it? It was his mother. So who is his mother? What was she like? Now you can turn to Second Timothy chapter 1. Just a few pages forward. Paul, starting at verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I could stop right there. I mean, you need to hear those words, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son. That, that's not a fact. That is emotion in there, if you look at that relationship. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remember the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. First we learned that Timothy had a Jewish mother, Then we saw that he was raised with the extensive exposure of scripture. And now we find out a little bit more about the character of that home. Of his mother. It was a home of faith. Of sincere faith. It was authentic. Unfeigned means it was not hypocritical. It was not a church-going faith. It was not a company faith. It was a real faith in that home. It permeated the home. It went back to at least his grandmother, Lois. 
she had it too. And then his mother, she had it. And then Timothy, he had it. It seems like, and we say, wow, what a home. It seems like the Apostle Paul had visited this home. He was very familiar with it, it seems like. If he didn't visit it, at least he was well acquainted with the family. They were all believers. And he was impressed. Suppose the Apostle Paul would come and stay in our homes one time, sometime. My home and your home. He would be there and he would observe the activities in your home. He would soak up the atmosphere and the spirit of your home. And then he would write a public letter and he would tell everybody what he found out in your home. Any volunteers? What would he write? Timothy was an exceptional young man. How exceptional was he? I'd like to read a few more verses about Timothy. And you don't have to turn there. You may. It's in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 and 22. It is Paul writing, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus, that's Timothy, shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your sake. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know, you know the proof of him, that as a son with a father, he has served me, served with me in the gospel. Timothy was the best disciple that the Apostle Paul had, it seems like. He was an exceptional young man, and it seemed like he had an exceptional home. That's why we do to meditate on Timothy's mother, Eunice. Who was she? What could she possibly have done to prepare this young man, a young man such as Timothy? Well, we know she, was, she had a godly mother, Lois. Again, Mother's Day. Mother. She had a godly mother. And this, her godly, her mother was, had real, sincere, and authentic faith also. Thou shalt love the Lord with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. For a faith to be genuine, it must be there. Not in perfection, not without struggles, but it must be real. If you're going to have genuine faith, unfeigned faith, that doesn't mean perfection, but it means it's real. Laws had it. Did she get it from her heritage? We don't know, but we know that God has no grandchildren. Each generation has to be or receive or have that authentic faith. But to see it, to see authentic faith 
lived out before you and to grow up in that environment is very helpful. Believe me, it is. And it seemed like Eunice had it. To see that faith live before you makes it both more desirable and more understandable. So Lois was a genuine believer. And then Eunice, she was genuine as well. But Timothy's father was a Greek. How are we going to explain that? It is against the law for a Jew to marry a non-Jew. Here's where a little discord comes into the picture of this happy, joyful, spirit-filled home. Maybe Timothy's childhood was not a pristine, perfect upbringing. I think it might have not been. Maybe he was raised in a real world where there was real pain and real struggle. And some real confusion. Why was Timothy's father a Greek, Eunice? Don't you know it's wrong for a Jew to marry a Greek? And if you were not married to him, that was wrong also. What did you do? What's going on? You have ruined your life permanently. Having a baby with a forbidden father. There is no possible good that can come out of this. Maybe we need that message. Never, never, never give up. (laughs) Then there are some verses in the scripture that says an alternative. It has a word that says, but God. Do you ever hear that word, but God? And I'm going to read a few verses in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 6. And interestingly, this was written by Paul to Ephesus, where Timothy was the pastor. So that's the connection we have here. And so here I want to read in context where maybe Eunice found herself. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We don't know the exact circumstances, but it seems like Eunice would have been at a significant disadvantage in bringing this little baby boy up in a heathen city with a heathen father. You would think that's some disadvantage. What hope does she have? What hope do you have, mothers, today? There are so many things against you, mothers, today. There's the culture. There are church struggles. There are your own struggles. There are your husband's issues, whatever they are. And on and on and on. 
you are at a disadvantage. But there is a but God. He's great in mercy. And here's the statement that Rex made. I don't know if he made it publicly, but he made it in an email or a text. Never underestimate what God can do. And we need that. Somehow, Eunice got right, got real with God. She did not have the but God verse in Ephesians. That's the New Testament. But she had the God of that verse. That's what she had. And that was enough. And so what do we know about her? That she was a Jew. That her faith was real. And then out of that, she taught Timothy the word of God. She shaped and she molded that young budding life, having no idea that we would be talking about her nearly 2,000 years later in a faraway land with a strange language. She had no idea. All she was is a mother in her environment taking God and God's word seriously. That's all she was doing. And it's all God expects of you mothers today. Do that. She was faithful. She was obedient. Now, how can I get a little practical with the mothers in this room? I hope I have inspired you so far to know the impact that you can have on your little ones in your home. And the youth in your home. But I'd like to talk about some practical ways or path that can be walked out. And I have chosen a song as an outline, and it's a song that was sang here this morning, Faith of Our Mothers. I didn't know they were going to sing that song at the time I was uh, moving toward this, this uh, here, but it fits together. So I will read this song verse by verse, and then I will take some things out of the verse. You know, I've never been in a class. I know they do this in school, in higher education, some places where they take literature or a poem or something and they dissect it and they do all that. And I've never, I never had that training, but I'm going to try to do a little bit of that this morning. So I'm going to read the first verse. Faith of our mothers living still. In cradle song and bedtime prayer, in nursery lure and fireside love, thy presence still pervades the air. Now the first line, the faith of our mothers living still, is an adult talking about the past. It's the faith of that mother, the faith of that mother back there. She may not even be living anymore. But the faith of that mother back there is still living. The life that faith gave birth to is still going on. How does that faith, so how does the faith of a mother express itself? (coughs) Excuse me. Does it express itself in glorious testimonies? Does it express itself in well-prepared public presentations? Does it express itself in emotional tingling experiences? 
How does the faith of a mother express itself? How does its spirit come out? Well, the next line gives the answer in cradle song and bedtime prayer. Talk about expressing itself in the life of our children, of the children. So what are you doing, mother? You are molding a soul. You are shaping a character. And how do you do it? A baby enters the world almost completely moldable. And I'm going to say almost completely because they're not completely moldable. <laughs> they have their own individual characteristics. But they are very moldable when they come into our homes. But how does the child begin to experience, but how the child begins to experience the world, how its brain will develop its dominant habitual patterns, how it will process reality begins as an infant, as a crawler, as a toddler. That little brain and that little soul is developing at a ferocious rate as an infant. So what is the child of a mother of faith learning? A mother of faith. What is that child of that mother learning? Cradle song. Rocking songs. Feeding songs. Devotional songs. Sweet songs, not TV songs or pop songs, but gentle, soothing, comforting songs. And the little child knows this is a safe place. And it soaks it up. It develops bonds, bonds, bonds. <laughs> And it, it learns trusting, reciprocal relationships at that very young age. It bonds with its mother in a safe relationship. That's what a mother of faith is doing. Bedtime prayer, cradle song and bedtime prayer. Does the little child know that there is an eternal, omniscient, omnipresent, eternal, almighty God? Of course not. The child doesn't know that. But in bedtime prayer, the child learns to know that there is a reality in this world beyond toys and food and people. He is beginning to see the world as both physical and spiritual. Without even knowing it, he is learning it. He's not conceptually understanding it, but it's becoming a part of who he is at a very young age. His worldview is being formed, including the reality that there is a loving God who cares about him. He does not understand nor feel his accountability toward God at this time, but it is being shaped and prepared. 
So a mother's faith is expressed in cradle song and bedtime prayer. The next line, in nursery lure and fireside love. What is nursery lure? (laughs) Lure means wisdom or tradition or knowledge. I uh, am assuming I, I, I put this in that verse. I didn't look it up in the Old Testament where it says about it's the children learning it line upon line, here a little, there a little. That kind of input that goes into a child, not big pieces, not sermons, not essays, just little and again little and again little. And where does it happen? In the nursery. What is a nursery? That's when a child is not even weaned. It is a very small child where this is beginning to happen. The mother of faith is doing that. The faith of a mother sees an objective, an end goal. As she's looking at this little child, this little child, little crawler, she sees an end goal. And it's here a little, there a little, shaping, molding. And puts the training and they say, and lives purposefully with that goal in mind. And puts training into the child. And then fireside love. This speaks of the atmosphere and the experience in this home. Security. Pleasant memories. Not fighting, not harsh words, not stress, or constant criticism. You know, during this time that the neuron paths in your brain, in a child's brain, are getting developed. And the parts of the brain that get stimulated the most are the parts of the brain that become dominant. As you go through life. And I mean, I heard years ago that most of a child's character is developed by the time they're five. I, I, I understand that. But as I, under, as I am studying how the brain develops, it's true. I believe it's true. That doesn't mean it's no hope, you know, but the parts. And so if you have a home where you have negative stress, criticism, you will have certain parts of the brain that become dominant and other parts that become less so. And when you're in a home that is loving and caring and encouraging, you have the opposite happen. And it happens in infants and toddlers. Preschool children, it happens in. So fireside love. That is why bonding and security and love and pleasantness are so important. It forms a developing brain and a developing soul. It provides a good foundation for a harsh and difficult life, which is sure to come later on. That life with the child is sure to encounter later in life. The opposite is if the home environment is stressful or painful 
or unpredictably unsafe. So instead of trust, then you will have mistrust being formed. Instead of bonding, there is retreating into a shell. Instead of pleasant memories, there are painful ones. I don't know if I can need even to go into this, but the uh, American, I think it's American Patriotic, or one of the American Patriotic Associations, one of them, they recommend zero TV for children under two because that's when their brains are developing and the input they get from television, the, the quick changing and and just input, and they don't learn verbal skills and don't learn interactive skills, all of those things. Because the zero to two is such an important part of a child's life, they say no TV during those two years. Now, we would say, well, no TV till 200 maybe. <laughs> think that'll take care of us. But let's just take it a little further. We do have all kinds of video, DVDs, and so on. And we could allow that to be our babysitters. And I say, that's not good. Not for young children. Because it will it will not have the, the negative media input, because you're putting good stuff on, <laughs> but it has some of the very same uh, neurological, uh, neuro, I can't say the word, but... Same effects on the brain as what television would. Not as bad, but still has that. So I would uh, put a caution out there. I have many memories of my childhood. They are not all good. But I remember many pleasant winter evenings in the dairy barn where it was quiet, just a quiet hum in there. The coziness of the barn, sort of a damp warmness. We didn't think about the smell back then. We didn't know if we were in it. <laughs> and my mom and my dad, both there when I was a little child. The whole family was out in the barn when we did the milking. Many, many pleasant memories. A summer evening, sitting on the front porch, the skies becoming dusk. The crickets are making this ferocious racket, or the locusts. And we, somebody go get the big galvanized bucket full of warm water, and we'd all wash our feet one at a time in the same bucket, and Dad would always be the last one. And then he'd sit there on the bench and look out over the landscape. Again, just And there's so many pleasant memories that I have. Not all my child bringing was perfect, but these pleasant memories were, it, it helped overcome the negative one, let's say it that way, because our, our homes are not going to be perfect. But we need many positive things. So I know as I look at some of the negatives of my childhood, I know that these pleasant experiences and regular schedules were invaluable for my childhood formation. Fireside love. You cannot develop a healthy child without it. Create a secure structure in your home with lots of praise. 
Of course, discipline is needed. Children need to know there are boundaries. Having boundaries is also character forming. They need to learn that there is authority and that authority must be respected. But that authority, which is you, also needs to be trustworthy or the child will become confused. So in cradle song and bedtime prayer, in nursery lure and fireside love, thy presence still pervades the air. Now that's not talking about God, that's talking about the mother. Thy presence still pervades the air. Years later, the songwriter may have been reflecting on his early childhood, and his testimony is that that spirit of his mother is still living inside of him. Still living. Mothers, do not underestimate the worth of your faith and input into your preschoolers. You are doing it for God and for the child, but it will turn back and bless you. Next verse. Faith of our mother's Loving faith, fount of our childhood's trust and grace. Now, I envision that this verse, this uh, set of this verse here is of a child is of an elementary school age. Start to go to school, six to ten, maybe six to twelve, something like that. The world is getting larger. They are developing friendship with other children. The apron strings are a little longer. What can a mother do now? Well, more of the same, but expanded. Now a child comes to a mother with their big problems. You look at them, they're little problems, but to them they're very big problems. And if you have a relationship with them established, they will come to you. What? Will they find if they come to a mother of faith? They will find a fount of wisdom and security. And that will continue to mold and shape their minds and character. A caring heart, a nurturing heart. And what if the child fails? No, not what if. When the child fails, do you comfort and give hope? What if the child has shame? Do you bring relief and resolution? What if the child has guilt? Can you lead the child to peace? A mother of faith is a fount of our childhood's trust and grace. It's a fountain. She is a fountain for this child. Next couple lines. Oh, may thy consecration prove source of a finer, nobler race. Oh, may thy consecration prove, mother, your consecration prove or bring the source of a finer, nobler race. Our world is broken. People are broken. 
institutions are broken. Can a mother make a difference and cause this world to be a little less of a broken place? She can. Her consecration to God, to love him with her whole life, and her consecration to give her life to her children in a godly way. It will have an impact on the next generation. Oh, may thy consecration prove source of a finer, nobler race. Next verse. So, faith of our mothers, guiding faith for youthful longing, a youthful doubt. Now we have a teenager. They're going outside to home more. They are beginning to make more of their own choices. They are beginning to develop their own dreams and develop their own perception, or rather own their perceptions of truth and reality. This can be a tumultuous time, and as I think about what a child goes through in that transition, I am almost surprised anybody survives. But there's mothers. Faith of our mothers is a guiding faith. The relationship and the trust and the shaping that occurred in those dozen plus years up to this time is going to be so essential for this time. Those infant years, those toddler years, those school years, all that was experienced with the mother together during those years, but all that can now be put to test during these years. Independence begin to surface. A mother needs to, with her wealth of faith and experience and wisdom, give guidance. And not once. You know, there are so many voices other than mother's voice in this world. There are voices from my own body. There are voices from my peers. There are voices from the greater society. And most of them do not agree with my mother's voice. Whose voice will I now listen to? I know I'm leaving your fathers out, but this is a Mother's Day message, okay? <laughs> Whose voice will I listen to? Mother's voice and mother's God's voice? Or some other voice? See, this is a time of youthful longing and it's a time of youthful doubt. It's a time of who am I? What am I here for? What is true? What do I do with all these struggles that I face? Let's see, I, I, I'm putting the two together. Youthful longing. Let me say about that. The dreams and the goals, marriage, God's work. Life's work, extra schooling. There's a big world developing in front of me that is both exciting and scary at the same time. And that's where mothers can come in for that. And then youthful doubt. What is real? 
Why do I face these struggles? Why are some of God's people such hypocrites? Why doesn't the world work the way I think it should work? I don't understand. My friends don't accept me. I am hiding this shameful thing and I don't know what to do with it. The next line describes this of that song, how blurred our vision blind our way. It's a little bit, I think that is talking about the child, how blurred our vision blind our way. Well, now what? Mothers, what can you do during this time? And the next verse says, thy providential care without. God has providentially placed you, mother, into your youth's life to guide, to encourage, to hear their vision, and to hear their doubts. Go with the youth to the word. Pray specifically with and for him or her. Look at what Eunice did. Genuine faith and consistent input of the word of God. Timothy, living in a heathen city with a heathen father, at some point needed to make a choice which way he was going to go. That had to come in his life. Whom he would hear and whom he would serve. And he chose his mother and her God. Eunice was providentially placed in Timothy's life. Faith of our mothers, guiding faith. And the last verse. Faith of our mothers, Christian faith, is truth beyond our stumbling creeds. Whoa, did I just hear that? There is a truth behind the creeds. You know those creeds that they got the most educated men that they could. They collected them from a wide area. They got them all together in the same area for a month. And they went over these creeds. And word by word they hammered out what's true and what's not true. And and they, they did these creeds. And now we're saying that there's something beyond that. As simple as a mother in a home? (laughs) Wow! Now, creeds are important. You need to know what's right and wrong. There is a faith that is once for all delivered to the saints. But what good are those words in that booklet if there is little love, little trust, little reality in those closest to you? There is a truth beyond our stumbling creeds. So what is the mother's role? Well, here's the mother's role. Still served the home and saved the church. Mothers, you may have more to do in promoting revival in the church than the preacher does. And why is that? Because you make the preacher. Eunice, who was she? 
Well, who was she? Just a mother. But her son Timothy left that impact on the world that we experience today. So Eunice had an eternal impact on the church and the world. So Sil saved the home and saved the church. Served the home and saved the church. Really? Here's a question. Does the survival of the church depend on godly mothers? Well, you say, well, no. God said, I'm going to build the church, and you're going to take things in context. But take away godly mothers, and what do you have? The church is only as strong as the homes in that church. And of course, that includes fathers. And the last verse there, and breathe thy spirit through our deeds. Mother's spirit goes through the children's deeds. Her spirit that she had continues to breathe through the lives of her children. Through the deeds of her children after they are grown and after she is gone. And that is the power of a godly mother. Faith of our mothers, Christian faith. We will be true to thee till death. Now this message is meant to be an encouragement and inspiration to you mothers. To recognize your power and your influence. Not to discourage you, but to recognize that you have a lot of power and influence and to motivate you to continue as the scriptures say to abound yet more and more. Timothy had the blessing of having such a mother. Eunice was faced with challenging situations but she was faithful to God and in the end that is all that counts. She was faithful to God. So, happy Mother's Day, the mothers.